0: visit tecovas.com that's t-e-c-o-v-a-s.com and don't go gently y'all from the nation's capital this is the fly fishing consultant podcast with your host rob snowett
2: Okay, so this is uh, a test of the DAT. We've got the Potomac Snakehead Tournament coming up this weekend. And if I can successfully podcast with this DAT that I bought four years ago, then I'll probably take this with me to ICAST and IFTD. It's cold rainy today. It's uh, the 30th, no, it's the 29th, I should say, of May the team right now for the snake Kid tournament looks to be producer jason davenport and we're still working on the other team members we've got some injuries we have uh potter threw his back out and holt tore his acl so we're trying to figure out who's going to fill the fourth spot on the new boat the boat is rigged up ready to go we're going to have spotlights in it we're going to have coolers a place for me to sleep. I'm going to have to drink some, some Ensure and some 5-hour energies mixed together to keep me going. So the tournament's going to start at 6 p.m. on Saturday, and it's going to go until noon on Sunday. We are going to fish all night. We should be staying within the Matta Creek system. That's Matta Woman, which is uh, like 20 miles south of D.C., It's got some huge lily pads. The submerged aquatic vegetation hasn't really come in yet on the river. And, of course, the river's still blown out and muddy from the massive storm a couple weeks ago. We're going to be throwing strictly eight weights with shooting heads. We're going to be throwing snallygaster worms, clousers, scorpion bugs, some weedless frog lures. And some other my flies. And Davenport's going to have spinning gear with braid to get back to the spots where we can't actually get a fly to. Everyone's going to have to learn how to row a drift boat. And, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep you guys posted on how things are going. So we'll catch up with everyone closer to the weekend for uh, the annual Snakehead Tournament podcast. So let's talk about the Snakehead Tournament. I left here, uh, Annandale, Virginia, about 3 o'clock. It was pretty hot out and went and got the boat, which was pretty tightly parked, so I had to maneuver the new stealth craft out of the parking spot. By the time I was done with that, I was uh, pretty darn parched. So I drove all the way over to Grand Mart and got some Gatorades and iced teas and headed out to the tournament. The car was all packed, the boat was all packed, just had to go charge the boat at Smallwood State Park meet the team and sign some waivers and put in. So I got there a little after four o'clock and met up with Austin Murphy, who puts on the whole shebang. And from there, I was able to get my extension cords out and start charging the boat. One thing that was pretty awesome was the amount of people that came over to check out the Stealthcraft boat. Most of the boats there were aluminum boats that were decked out literally the decks on them for bow fishing we were the only conventional fishing boat i think there at the time so it was the paint job on the side of it the seats the pulpits the light systems the cup holders people were very impressed they they didn't really know what to make of the boat but they thought it was pretty awesome so i thought that was pretty cool And then the team started showing up. Davenport came over, started loading her gear into the boat, and then Jason, and then Holt. We signed our waivers. We did our raffle tickets, uh, our door prizes. Put our names in the bucket for that. I bought a T-shirt. I'm wearing it now. It's the 2014 Snakehead Tournament. And this year, they went with a lighter material which is a lot nicer, it's lighter, it was pretty hot and muggy today, so I really enjoyed not having a thick, heavy-duty cotton shirt on. You can get them, probably still available on uh, PotomacSnakehead.com. So we got the boat all loaded up, leaders tied, rigged, and everybody had like two to three bags of gear with them, and it was pretty amazing that we were still able to walk around in the boat with the coolers and the gear. All the rods. Now, we did have conventional tackle in the boat. There were three spinning rods. And then there were the fly rods. And we pushed off a little bit. So, the official start was about 6 o'clock. But due to Holt getting there a little late because he's got the bum knee and things were just slowing him down. We didn't take off until about 7-ish. And then, of course, the outboard didn't want to work. So... That was interesting. And right about the time we were going to get a tow from a guy, Holt got the outboard going, and we jetted right up to where the lily pads were last year. Now, if you remember the last year's tournament, it was much later in the season, by about six weeks later than it was this year. Thus, the lily pads really hadn't grown in. The tide was incoming, so we started working the edges of the spatter dock, and we fished the shorelines. Again, just super fishy, Areas We're talking lily pads, aquatic vegetation, weeds, down trees, logs, duck blinds, overhanging trees, fallen trees, old pylons, just all sorts of stuff in the water and no fish around there. Now, there are things that were going against us. As I was driving down Indian Head Highway to the park, I noticed there were... Crazy amounts of very expensive bass boats leaving the area. Turns out there was an FLW Tour. I don't know what that stands for, but I think it had to do with Walmart originally. So there was about 100-plus bass boats pounding Mattawomen Creek all day. Then you throw in all of the poor water quality. Since we had the massive flood several weeks ago, the water still is pretty murky. Plus, you have all the other boats in the water that are generating a lot of noise, like the specifically calling them out, the bow fishermen. So they're using generators and lights and making a lot of ruckus. They've got stereos blasting. So there's three things against us automatically trying to find these fish. And Holt got into a nice, very nice bass in the lily pads. The lily pads were like dinner plate size, where last year they were, remember those old aluminum, Trash can lids from back in the day and used to use them as shields when you were a kid playing like sword fights. They were bigger than that last year. So all the flies I had tied for this tournament were based on the lily pads that I was going to cast on top and drag them off and hopefully get blow ups. So things were a little unexpected. So we finished the shoreline. Jason saw the funny sign, which we forgot to go back and photograph, but we'll go back and get it for him. It said, um, When red light's flashing clear area or something, it turns out that area is the Naval Warfare College grounds, so who knows what's going on there. We kept fishing and fishing and pounding the banks and pounding the structure, and I am using a Dick's brand, that's Dick's the store brand, Weedless Frog Lure, the small one. They're about five bucks. It's truly weedless. I mean, there really aren't flies that are as weedless as this. And I'm using it to drag across the pads and dragging it from the weeds into the water, bouncing it off trees and structure. And as it's getting darker, and we start turning the boat lights on, so it's pretty awesome to have headlights on a drift boat. Uh, It's phenomenal. I get one blow up, and now you know we're switching off. Who's rowing? Who's drinking beer? Who's fishing? I was good. I didn't smoke a cigar. I said, I'd have one as my victory dance if I got a snakehead. Did not even light up a cigar the whole time. So I'm sitting in the swivel chair with my feet up on on the uh, side of the boat, and I'm just casting, strip, strip, casting, strip, strip. I get one blow up, lose the fish. We go across. We motor across. Now it's probably 10 o'clock, and we go around this entire island, absolutely not even a tug on the line. And they're shooting stars, and there's, there's a beautiful sunset, and it was a beautiful night. There was a slight breeze, which we could have done without. The water really calmed down, and then we started banging the shorelines again, and I end up hooking a tree probably at about midnight. And I get out of the boat, which I don't want to do because it's cold now. My pants are getting wet and I I start reaching up at the trees and I turn on my headlamp and gasp doo 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 I'm elbow deep in poison ivy pulling my lure out I think by now it was probably a fly I was sowing. I don't know but either way I'm elbow deep in poison ivy which is not something you want to do so I immediately go back into the water and try to rinse off the urushiol oil which you can deal with about 2 hours after contact and it should uh, 2 hours within contact and it should wash off and you won't get poison ivy So now we've got the internal headlights or the internal lights on the boat, which are LEDs. We've got the nav lights on, the red and green, and the fore and aft headlights. And you can see little one-inch-long, like, baby shatter minnows all around the boat, but nothing's coming up and eating them. And we just kept fishing and fishing and fishing. And now it's, like, about 1 o'clock, and Holt's got to go home, and he needs to... Take his dogs out, feed them, and go to bed because he's got the bum knee. So we drop him off and then go and fish around the Smallwood State Park docks. And if I'd known really that they had dumped you know, like a thousand largemouth bass in there after the tournament, we probably would have worked the actual dock structure a little more. We went around and fished the Spatter Dock, and I mean, just it's it's really fun being out late at night on this new Stealthcraft boat fly fishing. Just fantastic. And we hear some major splashes. We assume carp. Something jumps up and bangs down and flops. And we fish a spatterdock. nothing. And Davenport's throwing, they're throwing chatter baits. I really can't tell you what it is, but it's got a whole lot going on. There's like this piece of metal on it, like the size of a beer can tab that kind of, I guess, shakes and makes it weedless. And right when she's getting ready to pull her lure out to cast again, something monstrous takes a bite out of it and it's the kind of thing that happens so fast we didn't know what was going on it's like 1 45 in the morning we're all exhausted and she loses it and we're like all right let's head back to the dock and i figure all right i'll uh, i'll sleep in the boat Holt's at home in his nice warm bed davenport's up in her car producer jason's in his car i'm like all right how bad can this be so i've got on my bass pro shops pants i got my Chaco flip-flops And I also got a bathing suit underneath because I had been at a pool party for my daughter's birthday. I'm wearing my long sleeve Stealthcraft t-shirt, my Sims sun shirt over that, and then I put on my old OAR hoodie. And then I've got on a buff over my face and a windstopper hat. And I curl up on top of a pile of life jackets and I'm pretty beat. We've been fishing seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12... About seven hours, and that's, you know, I've been up since about 5.45 that day, so I fall asleep pretty quickly. I wake up about 45 minutes later, and my teeth are chattering. The temperature dropped overnight to about 42 degrees, and a lot of moisture in the air, so there was dew. Everything in the boat was wet. And Holt had brought us a bunch of little bar towels from...
1: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment
2: so I start taking those, um, get fetal position on my, my right-hand side, and there's plenty of room. I'm stretching out, and I'm not touching anything. So I've got the bar towels laid up over me to kind of keep my legs warm. And then I put my feet in my Urban Angler reusable shopping bag because that's the only thing I had for my, my feet. And I probably fall asleep for another half an hour and wake up. Now it's like 3, 4 in the morning, and I'm just freezing. So I get up and remember, ding, ding, ding. I've got a pair of waders in my car, and I've got a waiting jacket. So I go up, and I hit the head because the bathroom's right there. And the warmest place to be, believe it or not, is the bathroom. And if it didn't smell like chlorine, I probably would have spent the night there. But it was it was way cold. It was way wet. And also, I didn't want to leave my boat unattended. And the next dock down are Richie and Ivan from Team Erman Angler sleeping on the, the platform on their boat. So I, I go up to my car, I put on my waders, I put on my jacket, and I swear there was somebody or something big that ran down the docks when I was there. It was like a ghoul or something. It was creepy. It could have been Chucky. I don't know, but my eyes may be playing tricks on me without my glasses in. I get down, I put on my waders, I put on the jacket, I put the hood up on my hoodie, put the hood up on my waiting coat. The buff's up over my face. I'm all warm and toasty, and I wake up at about 5.15 when some guys start putting their bass boats in. So I get up. I start walking around to warm up, go unleash the bladder again, and Holt and Davenport start coming down, and we're trying to figure out where – sorry, Reef and Davenport. Where is Holt? So um, my phone is dead. Apparently, I didn't have – my charger was not working with the boat because you can charge phones off the drift boat. Pretty Awesome. So I go up to my car, I start charging, we get a hold of Holt, he's just leaving, so he doesn't get there, you know, we, so we go and fish for a little bit around the docks and the piers, um, while I'm up in, in my car, Davenport catches like a four and a half, five pound largemouth, the thing was monstrous, all these pictures are up on the blog, you can just google fly fishing the 2014 Potomac Snakehead Tournament, and you'll get the pictures, so I'm like, all right, well, there's where I want to fish in the morning. There's more lily pads. It's, you know, a couple miles upriver. It's a place called Slavin's. S L A V I N S. We text Holt, just meet us there. So we motor up there and we start fishing. And, you know, Rebecca's probably catching bass. Jason and I aren't doing too well, but it's an incredibly fishy area, but there's just boats everywhere. It's a very heavily pressured area. And. Holt gives us a call and we look up at Slavin's and up at the boat ramp, a car flashes twice. And we see it's him. So we putter around, motor, we pick him up, get in the boat, start fishing. And out of nowhere, like a homemade banana yellow float plane goes by us. Very bizarre. And then we bite, bump into my friend Wazalewski. He's out there in his new boat and they haven't caught anything either. Uh, we talk to Chef Chad from Alewife said, the day before, he caught more bass than he's done before, and huge bass, and they got one snakehead on uh, like a chatterbait, pumpkin-colored. We keep fishing. We're in cover. We're in the shade. We're in like five feet of weeds and lily pads, and we spook a couple of gar, but I get one largemouth bass. In the weeds. It was on a purple and orange reaper with a black tail, purple UV body, and chartreuse eyes. On the eight weight. So that was fun, but it's always disappointing to catch a huge largemouth bass when you're trying to catch snakeheads and earn money. And we fish until about eleven thirty hard. Four people fishing at once, then one person would do some rowing, fish while rowing. We're throwing, we're changing flies. Jason's throwing worms. He's throwing reapers. He's throwing um, weedless frog flies. He picks up spinning gear and he, he eventually hooks one fish on spinning. And we fish hard. And we call it at about eleven thirty and motor back. I want to first just get out of my grimy, nasty clothes. We, we pull the boat out go up, and everyone's already up there. They're lining up with their snakeheads and giant tubs and, and coolers that are chest high. And there's free beer from Flying Dog, and you'll hear them later in this podcast. There's free oysters, all-you-can-eat, and there's all-you-can-eat fried snakehead, like breaded chunks or battered, I don't know. And then Chef Chad eventually starts cooking up tacos with slaw and pico de gallo. I just want, like, something else because I don't eat seafood. I don't eat fish. I'll eat oysters, but I just wasn't in the mood. I was beat. You know, I maybe got two and a half hours of sleep in the last two days. Uh, didn't really have much caffeine in me. And I want to go home, but we've got to wait for the weigh-in. We've got to wait for the raffles and then the prizes. It was pretty gruesome seeing the, the weighing of the fish, and you'll hear more about that later on when I do my interviews. But they were gory and bloody and just covered in slime, and people are holding them. There's little kids picking them up and holding them. Everyone's just passing beer around. Dalton shows up and some other guys from TPFR, and we hang out with the Urban Angler crew. Everyone's drinking beers and having fun, and we're all just exhausted. And I've never been to a slower raffle for the door prizes. I win a Snakehead controller hat and a Fish and Wildlife koozie. Jason wins a pink arrow for shooting fish. Rebecca wins, I think, a white arrow, and she all is, she's all about bow fishing now, so she's pretty excited. Then she wins the raffle again and gets the line for a bow. And then eventually, Holt wins a PotomacSnakehead.com logoed mug. I'm sure he probably has uh full of whiskey right now. The raffles are and the weighing, it's just taking so long. I you know, we got to the docks at noon, it's like 2 30 now. Then they do the bucket raffle, so it's a uh, sage rod, there's a snakehead print, and there is a bow. And after that probably took 20 minutes, none of us won. I'm like, all right, I'm done, I'm going home, I'm exhausted. So we get the boat all packed up, and I take off, and that's pretty much it. We did not catch any snakeheads. It was fun. It was a learning experience. I loved being in my new boat. I loved being out with uh, my team of hardcore anglers. Loved trying out some new fly patterns. Uh, what else can I say? Paps blue ribbon in a tall boy is nice. Glenn Morangi in a boat at night is nice bass bro bass pro shops not bass bro shops bass pro shops brand like beef jerky slim jim sticks are awesome we got them in big lots for like a nickel each or something that's about it it was fun until next year but you know as i hope keep saying hopefully we'll be out west by the end of the year so what's coming up next on the podcast i'm still working on brown trout i still want to get reba on And I've got iCast coming up, and now that hopefully this DAT records a better podcast and is a little more easier to carry. Like I say, it's the size of like a Snickers. So if I can take this down to iCast and not have to drag the computer, the microphone, I'll be much happier. If you're going to iCast, be sure to get the iCast app. It'll tell you who's going, the attendees, and. vendors, exhibitors. It should be fun. So we'll see what Orlando has for me. I've already lined up a couple of people. Pat Ellers from the Fly Fishers up in Wisconsin. He's the one who came up with the Reaper Fly. Hopefully some other people. But, yeah, that's about it. It's sort of a shorter podcast, but that's what happens when you're out all night fishing and not recording. I'd wanted to record at night and pass the data around, but it just wasn't going to happen with – With all the water and and just, I didn't want to drop it in. So that's it. Thank you for downloading episode 100. Give us a round of applause, a shout out to Jason. If you want to help support the Fly Fishing Consultant podcast, it was just $300 to up the next couple of years on the FTP. So go to Direct. There's some good Father's Day gifts. Somebody just bought a brand new pair of Costas. So I get about 10% commission On Airby sales. So go buy Reddington Rods. Go buy the Patagonia Sling Pack. Buy um, Coza del Mars. Get some Allen Reels. Buy stuff through me. I get commission. You'll get your gear within two days. That's all I have to say. Until next time, thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. And here is Jason. Take it away.
3: Portion of the fin uh, from that fish. Uh, they may ask you where the fish was caught. So if you know, let them know. And then uh, sometime, maybe the next couple of years, we'll know something about the uh, the population genetics of this uh, this animal out here. So thanks for helping out with that project. You're going to help them get a, a good project together, and uh, good luck.
2: All right, so <laughs> so we're going to start off with uh, Tommy. Hunter from Flying Dog Ale, who's a big sponsor of the event. Looks like we got some cold
4: beers here for us today. What do we have? Got my Easy IPA. It's a new session IPA that we have. Very uh, light-bodied, citrusy. And then Snake Dog, our American IPA. It's 7.1%. So we got two beers. Really good for drinking during the summertime. And the beer you don't have today, the new one. You want to talk about that? Yes, it's a, it's a beer brew with Old Bay. It's called Dead Rise. Uh, proceeds from that beer go to the True Blue Foundation uh, to bring back crabbing to the Chesapeake Bay. And we also have a beer uh, called Pearl Necklace Oyster Stout, which proceeds go to the <laughs> the Oyster Recovery Partnership of the Chesapeake Bay. So we're really trying to bring back the wildlife in the Chesapeake Bay area. Now,
2: we also have the DNR guys with me. I've been finding oysters up in Roach's Run in, in, right in, by the
3: airport. That's good. I don't know much about the Oyster program because I'm not in that. uh, But I have heard, you know, we're trying some uh, recovery efforts, right, with the Oyster Sanctuaries. And it's working in some areas and other areas. It's a little bit more challenging. So it's good to hear if you're finding some oysters out there. Who knows? Maybe we'll get the Bay back to something of what it was. All right. So uh, the Old Bay beer, does it taste like Old Bay?
4: Yeah, so we actually worked with McCormick, which owns Old Bay. We worked with the Spice Experts for quite a while, and we have a low-sodium blend of Old Bay, so it's not super salty. Um, a little bit of acidulated malt, so you get a little bit of tartness, a lot of cascade hops. You get a lot of lemon notes, too. It. It's really, overall, a really well-balanced beer. All right, and uh, for those who are listening
2: not in the D.C. metro area, where are you guys distributed throughout the country? Where can they find the beers?
4: Which beers? It really depends where you are. Um, some of our small batch stuff, it's only D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, uh, including the the Old Bay beer. Um, but we're in about 24 states right now. So, All right. Where can we find you guys online? FlyingDogBrewery.com. Social media? Twitter is at FlyingDogBrewery, and same thing on Instagram. All right. Fantastic. Cheers.
2: Cheers. All right. Let's talk to... Uh, so the biologist guys, so, so in the years since we spoke with you, how many snakeheads do you think are in the, in the river? Like geographic distribution, quantities...
3: Oh, in the river, we have no idea how many are in the the system you know we last year we uh, we worked Nanjimoy River and came across a population estimate of about four hundred. Um, but in some systems it 's far less than that, maybe a couple hundred, and uh, could be far more in others uh, they 're not really that abundant in the main stem of the Potomac River, um, but we don 't have a Potomac River population estimate just yet, but they, they're uh, They're not the most abundant fish out there, but they're abundant enough for us to worry about them, and they have been spreading into some of the nearby rivers. So I'm grateful for programs and tournaments like this that help raise awareness of the problems with invasive species and also help target and harvest these invasives so that it makes our jobs a little easier when we're managing other fisheries that people are interested in. They've
2: been in the river now. About 10 years. Are they the the river monster media makes them out to be?
3: No, they're not the river monster the media had made them out to be. Uh, They haven't caused any extinctions, uh, and I know folks are worried about that. And uh, they haven't really uh, caused any problems to humans. I know some folks were worried that they were going to uh, get bitten and eaten. Um, none of that really is, is truthful. They're not coming out on land. They're not walking across land. Um, there were a lot of uh, mistruths early on, but the uh, the reality is it is a formidable predator out there and one that is capable and does compete with our other top predators in the, in the river, um, and it is a, a variable that we don't have very good control over right now because we honestly don't don't know much about it. It has only been 10 years, and we're still learning more about their biology. Um, And as a result of that, it's very tough to um, manage other fisheries because we have this unknown variable in the system. So, again, I'm grateful for groups like this who are harvesting that animal and trying to um, knock back its abundance and knock back its um, distribution because it's just common sense that as that happens, it's just better for the ecosystem.
2: You said yesterday this might be like 10 to 15 percent of the population taken
3: out locally. Right. That was Josh. He was um, commenting on that. He has some uh, tag return information from, uh, from some tagging work that's been ongoing for what? Five years now. Yeah, we've been tagging them for five years, and we've seen an increase
5: in tag returns from anglers. So what we were doing initially was tagging them to monitor how fast they were growing uh, and where they moved within the river. And then we changed it up a bit last year, and we stopped tagging as many, and we only focused on a few tributaries so we could get population and density estimates. And what we were seeing is that anglers are reporting about 10 to 15 percent of the tags that we put out there so that's a pretty good number actually um just anglers alone are catching 10 to 15 percent and then as agencies we can catch anywhere from 10 to 25 percent it looks like so we have the potential there to really do some damage to the population and as being fish and wildlife which is a full federal as opposed
2: to state and local um what do you, what are you guys doing to make sure people aren't you know removing them alive and transporting them just fingers crossed are you guys actually finding that people are
5: stocking them in other bodies of water well there have been some known releases um throughout the the mid-atlantic at least um there are populations established populations in new york uh, Pennsylvania, they're starting to show up in New Jersey. The Delaware River is where they started in uh, Pennsylvania, and those are genetically different populations um, than they are in the Potomac. Uh, and there's some evidence that you know they, they are getting moved around, and you know that's what the Lacey Act is involved in. That actually prohibits interstate transport and makes it illegal. Um, within the state of Maryland, they have laws, and Virginia has laws about illegal live releases as well. Um, so federally, that, that the Lacey Act is that violation. And it against transporting across state lines, and that penalty can go up to two hundred and fifty thousand I believe in five years so that's a, that's a pretty stiff penalty and we've been working with states they're slowly trying to they they have to Increase the the penalty because in the past it was very small for illegal release of a live fish. It might have been like twenty bucks or something like that. So they're working to create stiffer penalties to prohibit the movement or illegal release of these fish. What about the black market for them? I've met people that say they sell them illegally
0: ten to fifteen dollars a pound. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop midwayusa.com.
5: Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard the rumors. Um, that's a law enforcement thing, and I'm not even privy to that information. But yeah, that's that's one of the big things to curtail. And actually, it's nice that these uh, that these markets are like Maryland. It's legal to sell them now for commercial fishermen, so that actually can help curtail some of that. So if you can, you know, get these fish into market, and then you can stop this the illegal market. That's beneficial. But you know, that's just a law enforcement issue to investigate that and hopefully stop that. There's illegal markets i mean there's other than that there 's not much we can do unfortunately, instead of have public education and awareness and tournaments like this really do help and benefit that. Is there a specific fish and wildlife website people can go to to find out about snakehead um, well there is. Um, there's a fish, fish and Wildlife Invasive Species website. To be honest, I don't know that offhand. Um, our office, Maryland Fishery Resources Office, is based in Annapolis, and that's just uh, fws.gov slash Maryland Fisheries, and you can also find us on Facebook. We'll post uh, the research we're doing. Uh, we do Snakehead and a lot of other stuff, Shad and Eel, um, and that's just on Facebook, just Maryland Fishery Resources Office, so you can go there, and uh, that's also that's been a good point of contact for us, you know, when we get all these um, new introductions, uh, fish recently found at the Tapsco River, um, so they are getting out of the Potomac still, and that's a concern, and we just like to get that information, and whether it's through the state agency or us, it's just beneficial. Jason, how's your first taste of Snakehead? Pretty good. All right. Oh, look at this.
2: I got a credential coming to me here. So, Austin, how's your day been so far? We'll catch up fully later, but...
6: It has been an amazing day. We couldn't ask for better weather. Water conditions were decent. Um... Outstanding. Um, Where were the snakeheads, man? Well, you know, we had a little bit of a cold snap, but besides the cold snap, I think um, we've had just seasonably we're we're well below average in terms of ambient air temperature too. So water temperatures down, uh, air temperatures down, and it just makes for more more of a challenging um, you know fish fishing experience. But there are plenty out there. That's for sure. Yeah. How many of you think got pulled out today with the tournament? I, I, I'm not sure yet. We'll know at the end of this weigh-in. But uh, if we crack three-quarters of a ton, I'll be happy. And, and what are they doing now? They're cutting
2: out parts of them? They're doing specimen samples?
6: Yeah, the University of Maryland is, is doing specimen samples. And uh, Joe Love actually can tell you more about it. Um, uh,
2: and Josh Newart as well. So they can tell you details of that study. All right. Let's go talk to them. and let you do your thing. Okay. So the ti- what, are they, what are they doing right now? They're taking out tissue samples. I see some ethyl alcohol
3: yeah, yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, they're, can, they're they they're doing a couple of things for us this year. Um, they are doing a creel survey to determine how well anglers are uh, catching the fish and harvesting them. But today they're clipping fins and storing on ethanol because they're doing some population genetic work. Uh, they're going to be uh, looking at the DNA of some of these animals. They're going to find out just how small some of these populations are, or how big some of these populations are, and they're going to use the genetic information to, uh, to tell them that. Any chance you guys are going to gut some of these fish so we can find out what they eat? Well, we not today, uh, maybe not. But uh, you know, some of these guys may be bringing home their fish to to eat, so they're likely to be taking pictures of some of those guts and posting them online. They do that. But we do have uh, projects every year, and we uh, gut the fish that we catch and record uh, what these what these fish are eating. Of
2: course, Chef Chad over there, he got one that had a double A battery in its stomach. Yeah, and I heard about We that. had one that
3: had styrofoam in its throat. Very nice. Yeah. these I'm sure they weren't digesting that too well but uh yeah they're an opportunist uh they uh you know, eat just about um, whatever comes across their face, and as you can see, sometimes it's inedible, um, but that doesn't stop them from s- shoving it down their uh, their their uh, their throat. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, some of these fish get really big, like up to eighteen pounds, uh, and that's a a, a, a problem because uh, that's bigger than our largemouth bass get out here. Um, so you know, they they you know the bigger they are the more they eat so we're trying to get folks to kill some of the bigger ones so they don't eat so much and once they get a certain size there's no predator out here well aside from humans uh you're right uh you know there are some eagles uh, some uh osprey that that might uh you know commit some bird strikes but you know once they get to the you know 10 pound 12 pound range uh you know maybe big blue catfish would go after them um or humans and that's a about, that's about it. That's what they're looking at right now. So again, grateful for guys like this to uh, exert that fishing pressure on this animal and in, in hopes that we can, uh, you know, control the spread and the biomass in the in the river here. We try our best,
2: but uh, <laughs> it's about one av- uh, every three years for me at least.
3: Yeah, well, you, you know what, collectively though, yeah. it's a huge combined impact and uh, and, you know, so, you know, Josh mentioned some of our commercial watermen. It's kind of a small fishery within commercial fisheries but we've got that we've got these guys targeting them and then the agencies go out so it's kind of a cumulative impact um you know we're not likely to eradicate it i don't think anyone's talking about that but uh Exerting the control and raising awareness is kind of where we're at right now. Now, what about the
2: name? Because people say it's not an appetizing name. Are they trying to like change it? I've heard people call them Lightning
5: Perch and some other mm. more appetizing names. Yeah, I mean that that can happen locally, and it's no different than calling Bluegill Brim or Sunny's or anything like that. Um, it's a big process to get the name officially changed, um, but for marketing purposes, they could do that if they wanted. Um, you know, Patagonian Toothfish—that's Chilean Sea Bass. So they. Change that because it's not very appetizing. But I think one of the the good things that people can feel about is you know it's a northern snakehead. You might you know might or, not order it at a restaurant, but once you taste it, it's good. And then secondly, you don't have to you know if you're getting at a restaurant, you're not seeing what it looks like. You're not dealing with the teeth. And then once you taste it, it is good. So you hopefully you'll eat it. And the, the added benefit is you can say, look, you know we, this is catch all you can get. You know you can there's no size limit, there's no creel limit. You can catch as many as you want, and you can feel good about it. So you can feel like you're doing a service to the environment, and you're not, you know, worried about eating an endangered species or a fishery that's overfished. So I think that's that's kind of the added benefit to keeping it at a northern snakehead, and you know, hopefully people can get over that and just at least give it a try. It's not like it's a, a bony fish; it's nice, white, flaky, got a great taste to it. Also, talk about eating them. Um, do they harbor the heavy metals and toxins that other fish in the river have? well I know MDE is working on that uh, they're actually doing some consumption advisories uh, there hasn't been published yet um, but they do they are fast growing so they're not likely to bioaccumulate as much as say uh, a channel catfish or something like that so that that is less of a concern although I would still pick and choose if you feel like you're in um, a heavily polluted creek don't eat them out of there if it's a you know a creek with a, a consumption <laughs> advisor I know chopahamanza Creek will have some advisory For Quantico Creek, or if uh, Piscataway, sometimes there's some sewage spills. I wouldn't eat them then, but yeah, that's less of a concern it is with other fish because they are so fast growing. All right, well, I'm gonna let you guys do your thing and uh, go harass some other people. Thanks for joining me. Nice chatting with you. Thanks for chatting. I
2: appreciate it, man. Good luck. All right, so now we got Ivan with us, Team uh, Urban Angler. How was your uh, evening out there? Not too good. A little bit cold, but saw lots of fish.
1: Swimming, that's it. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was cold. I'll talk about that later, but yeah. I heard
4: you caught a snake catch. Is that not true? No,
2: I didn't catch I caught a bass. Ah, bass. I'll say the fish I hooked last night that was big. Was a snakehead, but selfish. yeah, it could have been or something. There, there is that kid in the title, Potomac Fly Rodders. Was that kid Lucas? He's like, I call myself an Arctic Char in Rock Creek, so you never know what's out there. Hey, I'm Davis, walking out 14 on Instagram. Yeah. How's it going? Good. So, uh, how's the new boat? What do what you? driving these days?
1: Uh, it's a it's, uh, Grizzly Tracker 1646, 25 horsepower, uh, polling platform, and uh, in the front, too, also, so you can, it's easy to cast, uh, you can pole it, uh, a little bit difficult sometimes when it, you know, get in the weeds, but it's fine, I mean, you can really go through skinny water, you can approach them, you know, very stealthy, and uh, it's great, it's an awesome little
7: boat. Yeah.
2: And, Rabbit, we didn't see you out there, where were you over? Night and fishing, and whatnot.
5: Oh, we uh, we hit Little Hunting Creek uh, last night. That was to no avail. And then uh, this morning, missed my wake-up call. Ended up hitting Four Mile Run, stocking the banks there, and spooked probably a 15-pound snakehead. So, yeah, upstream of the uh, upstream of the bridge on the high tide took my first step in and he shot right out of the, the vegetation there on the bank probably like less than a foot of water it's a good time you know it's 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 not easy fishing for these things but it's sure sure as hell is a lot of fun
2: and your reward now is free beer free oysters and free snakehead yes that is correct It's all it's good Whole, what do you think
3: I think it's a fantastic time. It's a
2: great event. All right, well, let's see who else we can talk to. How'd you say your Instagram again so week? People listening out in podcast land. Uh, Davis Walker. And you're from Georgia? <laughs> yes. Whereabouts? I uh, went to school in Athens, uh, University of Georgia. When'd you graduate? 2008. Uh, so you don't know the band Tibbet Street? I do not. Uh, I'm gonna have to get you a copy of the C D. Alright, well enjoy your beers and let's go watch some some weigh-ins.
8: Alright, we got Wazalewski here. How'd you guys do? Uh, we got skunked the entire weekend. Actually Porter caught one bass. That's about what I (laughs) caught. Yeah, we're kinda rookies. We're a little bit out of our league here. Two hundred and fifty pound bass. Two hundred and fifty pound bass. Did you guys see the cooler over here? We were watching the weigh-in. Those guys look pretty impressive. I'm a little, little jealous.
3: Half the shots are right in the head.
8: Yeah, that thing looks like a Dorado. It's so big. Oh, man. Dude, all the shots. Yeah. I had some envy. A little bit of envy there. Man, definitely. We got one of those. How is, how's the boat working for you? Well, it's working okay. Um, it's about 50 years old. It's 1965 uh, Lumacraft. Uh, it's seen some better days, but uh, I'm probably the fifth or sixth owner by this point, and I uh, hope to treat it well.
2: And your trolling motor maintained you guys all night.
8: Uh, yeah, we had to pull back in around midnight, charged it for about four hours, and uh, made it back out again this morning. Where'd you guys sleep? Uh, my house. Damn. I'm jealous. I wish we would have slept on the bank somewhere. We were prepared to camp, but we thought we'd come back home.
2: It was a little cold last night.
8: I heard it went down in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah.
2: A little, a little cold. I've never used a shopping bag as a to put my feet in before sleeping
8: at night. Hey, it works in the snow. It should work with uh, fishing, too. Yeah. All right. Let's go drink some more beers. Word. So Rebecca just said she wasn't gonna say it,
2: but you caught the most fish of our uh, team here. That's true. And they like the chatterbait. They did. I think that's what I caught all three of them on. And those were thrown on what kind of rod? <laughs> a graphite rod. Is that what you mean? That works. Yeah. At least we were, we were prospecting it for may where or they were.
8: May not have been a spinning rod, but uh, you know, I like to like to use both spinning and fly. Keep it keep it diverse. How's it? How's
2: the new boat working for you?
8: Your boat? Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Nice neon green lights. Um, could charge my iPhone.
2: The sweet seats are pretty cush.
8: They're very nice. Yes.
2: All right, how's the snakehead? You eat some?
7: It was quite tasty, actually. It's like fried catfish.
8: You get some oysters?
4: Not yet. I'm,
2: I'm gonna wait and get something on the way home. Some land food.
4: <laughs> like McDonald's?
2: <laughs> no, that's gross. Maybe Taco Bell. That Taco Bell's not gross. McDonald's is gross. Indeed. All right, let's go see who else we can talk to. All right, we got a familiar voice here from... Tyfest Fest from two years ago. You want to talk about your artwork and your experience at
7: the tournament this year? Well, I'm a big fan of snakehead fishing, and uh, this tournament's huge. There's a lot of people here, and, uh, and I have to say, I didn't catch a snakehead, but lots of bass. had some fun. But, um donated some artwork for the raffle it's a capital snakehead it shows a snakehead eating a uh, dc rat with the capital in the background pretty cool um where can we find that if we want to get a a print ourselves well my studio is um 214 west street in annapolis uh maryland did you find yourself on moldy chum like i told you you were on there Yes, yes, my uh, my video of uh, me printing fish. I also have some uh, snakehead prints as well um, that I did from ones I caught. And you can fish out of a kayak? What kind? Um, well, I, wa- I was in uh, my old uh, mainstream, but I just re-upped on uh, a new uh, Jackson Cuda 14, and uh, it's sweet. All right, all right. Did you stay out all night? I did. I got about 20 minutes of shut-eye. Wow, more power to you. All right, well, go get yourself a nice cold one. I shall. Thanks.
9: First is going to be our novelty kind of prize, which is the smallest fish award. It's for $70. That goes to Shaft Assassins, Captain John Boyd. And that fish weighed in at, I believe, 0.26 pounds. Mm -hmm. Awesome in the Bow Fishing category, Shaft Assassins again, with Captain John Boyd, $730, I'm taking it home, awesome work, the total weight of
4: 185 pounds,
9: second place Bow Fishing category, The Real Phenomenon, Captain Kyle Curtis. One thousand and ten dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Go on, guys! Awesome work. One hundred and ninety-seven point six eight pounds. Good work, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, next up we have big fish with the bow, scraping bottom bow fishing. Captain Brett Miron. One thousand and seventeen dollars. A sixteen point seven eight pound fish. In the bow fishing category. $1,630 nocturnal misfits. Captain Dutch Baldwin. Total of 240 pounds of snakeheads. In the hook and line category, we have Biggest Fish Award at 14.84 pounds, 452 dollars. Goes to Rod and Reel. Captain Cliff Garner. Awesome work, guys. All right, and first place for Hook and Line, you guys need to come back up here. Rod and Reel, taking home another grand in cash. 44 pounds, over 44 pounds of snakehead. a lot of gas Awesome job, guys. That's a lot of snakehead. We're going to post all the results here shortly. They're working on the complete list in case anyone's curious. Austin, we're rolling out.
6: Man, it was so nice to have you out here. The fly fishing community was well represented, and uh, in a day, the weather was gorgeous. So thank you so much for being out. Heck yeah,
2: until next year. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information, or to contact Rob please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
1: LG channels in celebrating Great Outdoors Month, presented by Battery Tender. Tune in every Tuesday and Sunday in June, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. Channel 109 on your LG Smart TV. You can also watch Waypoint TV at LGChannels.com. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6'8 Western. I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.
7: Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp dinners crew will be hunting Eating it all.
1: This is Duck Camp Dinner.
7: Join me, Chef Jean Paul Bourgeois,
0: and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.